Welcome back to Victor E. History Podcast from the History Department at Fort Hay State University, home of Victor E. Tiger. Here at Victor E. History, Dr. Manami Guha and Holly Marquis highlight student and faculty research, as well as notable alumni. I'm Holly Marquis, and today I'm joined by Lucy Martin, who is here to discuss Edith Ide and how her contributions in queer media shaped an identity that inspired the LGBTQ civil rights movement of the 20th century. Welcome to the podcast, Lucy. Thanks for having me, Professor Marquis. Can you tell us a little about yourself? Sure. I am a junior here at Fort Hayes, majoring in drawing with a minor in history. Uh, I have moved back and forth between southeastern Colorado and eastern Kansas my entire life, but have ended up here in Hayes for my education. And we're glad that you did. Uh, you wrote this paper for Historical Methods last fall, and so I was so pleased with your topic selection because I think Edith Ide is woefully understudied and also fascinating. So tell me what drew you to her as a topic. Well, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to write about going into this class, but I am really interested in women and gender and sexuality within history, and I know I wanted to write about something related. I had previously discovered Edith Ide through the Making Gay History podcast by Eric Marcus. My favorite podcast. Yes, it's so good. And I was really drawn in by the singing she does during her interview, and things just kind of fell into place after you encouraged the possibility of doing my paper over her. Tell me about her childhood, because I really think it informs her later life. Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, So she was an only child born in San Francisco, California, during the years leading up to the Depression on uh, November 7th, 1921, to be exact. Uh, I was always kind of the odd one out among her classmates because she was the youngest of them all and really just lacked any peers her own age. She was often the target of ridiculing and teasing from them, and she didn't really have a support system at home to kind of make up for it. So her parents were very traditional, as many early 20th century parents were, and so she didn't really accept, and they didn't really accept a lot of the things about her. Her only company really became the things she was interested in, which were fairy tales and fantasy literature, and that later led to an interest in the weird and the occult. Yeah, so and as she gets into college... What kinds of hobbies is she into? What kind of writing is she doing by that point? So, yeah, it was through this that she found an outlet that she could express herself through. Um, and she found an escape through it. And this interest in the supernatural eventually led to her interest in science fiction and occultism in her college years and early adult life. So as she gets into college, she becomes really interested in witchcraft and science fiction. And one of my favorite quotes of hers was that her interest in devil worship and black magic was for the purposes of revenge, power, love, and mystery, and pure devilishness, but no further than that. (laughs) She's very sassy in her quotes. I love her. Yeah. So like, how farther can you go? Right. (laughs) That's that's pretty much it. (laughs) Um, So this opened up the doors to her writing for science fiction zines, and the most notable of which would have been The Voice of the Imagination, or VOM which was edited by Forrest J. Ackerman and Myrtle Douglas. And Ackerman is kind of accredited with being the father of science fiction fandom and is actually the person that turned the word sci-fi, which I think is really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, interesting little fact. They had some pretty interesting exchanges. Uh, Can you briefly tell me about this sort of correspondence that's being published between Ide and Forrest Ackerman? Yeah, so they had a really interesting relationship. 
but um, their correspondence with one another was very one-sided in the sense that Ackerman was in love with Ide, but she didn't really reciprocate for obvious reasons. Right, she's totally a lesbian, so she's not going to want to reciprocate his (laughs) repeated proposals. Yeah, in one of my favorite examples, Ackerman proposed proposed to Ide in an open letter to the public in June of 1945, and in an open letter addressing the response, Ide, quote, writes back from the cozy confines of the post office waste paper basket, where I find myself upon resuming consciousness after reading your public proposal, (laughs) unquote. So she, like, very gracefully declined his offer. Right, this is the worst possible way to propose to somebody an open letter that you publish to everyone, particularly if the person you're proposing to is a lesbian and you're not. So... I'd, getting back to her, she's most known for Vice Versa, and this is her magazine. How does this get started? So in 1947, Ide is working as a secretary for RKO Pictures, and her boss tells her that she should look busy when she's finished with all of her work and not just sit there and knit or read. So she turns to typing out Vice Versa on five copies of carbon paper at a time, resulting in ten copies total. First of all, I love this thought that her boss is like, just look busy. And she's like, I'm going to type a lesbian newsletter. And he has no idea. But she also has this really clever pen name. Yes, she did. She wrote under the name Lisa Bin, which is an obvious but wonderful anagram for the word lesbian. Describe the magazine for us. What kinds of columns or writing was in it? To start with, any publications of the 1940s at this time that discussed late lesbians labeled them as bad and sick, and it did nothing to dissuade the beliefs that to be a lesbian was to be a sexual invert. So, and vice versa, Ide is doing the complete opposite and giving her readers a new perspective that just did not exist within the heterosexual society of the 1940s. Vice versa was created to serve as the purpose of communication between lesbians, which she really intended it to just be passed from friend to friend. Yeah, because she's very lonely. Yeah. And she thinks other lesbians might also be lonely. Mm -hmm. So within Vice Versa, she included a self-written, she included self-written as well as fan-submitted poetry, fiction, song lyrics, and criticisms of cinema and stage productions, along with reviews of movies, books, and music. And in issue seven of Vice Versa, under the Watch column, you can see Ide asking the readers to send in any literary literary material they could. To contribute to the magazine and this is something you see throughout it because she really encouraged her readers to play a part in the creation of the subject matter of vice versa because without it she wouldn't be able to continue and also because she wanted the readers to embrace vice versa and help it like connect her with other lesbians and members of the community in general you mentioned that she had some critical reviews so she's looking for queer coding in cinema mm-hmm. what kinds of things is she noticing yeah so um in Vice Versa, you can see a column specifically labeled Cinema Ramblings, where I'd explored like subjective themes, and she created alternative inter- interpretations to films at the time. Um, instead of just contemplating about like what producers and filmmakers actually meant to signify or purposely overlook, so she was scrutinizing queer subtext within film and media and illuminating scenes that may have been symbolic of queer life or love. And just really playing into and like sussing out an interpretation that the production code at the time was doing its best to dissuade. And this is all pretty groundbreaking, right? Oh, most definitely. 
I mean, this is during a time when writing or distributing information about lesbians could land her in jail, but she was never really afraid of any consequences that may have come from it. Um, and this is something that she specifically talked about in the Making Gay History episode. She just really enjoyed being able to talk about these things openly. And maybe she was being naive, but she just didn't really ever think it was that big of a deal. She also did some writing for The Ladder, which is the Daughters of Belitis magazine, or newsletter rather. Can you tell me a little about that? Yeah, so the Daughters of Belitis were the first um, lesbian organization, and it kind of meant to begin as like a small secret club of lesbians where gay women could just meet without threat of hostility. Um, and the club defined itself as a political organization rather than a social organization. And she became involved with the Daughters of Belitis after the last published issues of Vice Versa, where she started writing for the organization's periodical called The Ladder. And she wrote under the name Lisa Finn as well, which originally she wanted it to be I'm a spinster, but that wasn't allowed. <laughs> and I just love that. I also love that. Yeah. So The Ladder was the first lesbian magazine that was nationally distributed in the U.S. Um, and was published from the 19, from 1956 to 1970. And The Ladder really sought out the same things that its predecessor, Vice Versa, did in that it really just wanted to reach out to other gay women and assure them that they were not alone. Beyond her writing, how else does she get involved in the queer scene mid-century? So I was talented in singing and songwriting, both for parodies and original works. And I had started her vocation of writing parodies of popular music at the time during uh, 1948 and 1949. And her inspiration for these songs came from a rude joke at the expense of Beverly Shaw, who was a known lesbian nightclub singer at the time. And she would see all these songs sung by gay male entertainers who were singing in derogatory and demeaning manners at the expenses of themselves to entertain heterosexual audiences. And she just did not like having to see the belittlement of gay patrons. Right. And so she would take the music that these gay male entertainers were performing and transform them to her own liking. And she made them about what life was like while being gay with pride and shared amusement. And she became very popular in Los Angeles gay bars for her singing. And that's very ahead of her time. Yes. Eric Marcus, who's the founder of Making Gay History, which I've already mentioned is my favorite podcast. Uh, it features oral histories. And she has he has a couple of episodes that feature interviews with Edith I later in her life. And recently I read that he is always asked which interview was his favorite. And he said he had a hard time picking a favorite, but she was the only one who sang to him. So in one of the episodes, you can see hear her singing. I would recommend to listeners check that out. Uh, did you listen to her songs as part of your research? Yes, I absolutely did. There's obviously the Gay Gals mixtape on Making Gay History, where she sings. And the Daughters of Belitis also financed a record of her singing Cruising Down the Boulevard and also Frankie and Johnny, which is available to be listened to on YouTube. But overall, there just really isn't much surviving audio of her singing, besides in various interviews like with the Daughters of Belitis. I did find an archive, though, called Lisa Benography, which kind of led to a little, another little archive um, called Lisa Ben's Songbook that has the lyrics and chords of about 20 of her songs, which was a really amazing find. Yeah. And you presented this research recently. What was that experience like? Overall, it was a really great experience. I was very nervous going into it because I'm not huge on public speaking, and I'm always kind of afraid that I'm going to be the person that knows the least in the room, so to speak. 
but the KH conference was extremely welcoming and overall very positive. Everyone that was present in my panel really asked just engaging and interesting questions and the whole experience felt very conversational rather than just we were discussing topics um, to kind of test each other on each other's knowledge. So I was really glad I was given the, the opportunity to go. You did a fantastic job. I heard a lot of good feedback about your presentation. And so anyone who was there, anyone who's listened today will know about Edith Ide or Lisa Ben, which I think is a, a service you have now provided to people. Yeah, she led such an interesting life and I really enjoyed getting to research more about her. And I hope that anyone listening enjoyed getting to learn more about her too. You've just turned in another research paper for me. Tell me briefly what that one is about. So it is about how through the use of butch and femme identities, uh, queer women of the early 20th century were able to fight societal gender norms and influence gay liberation through the means of non-heteronormative fashion and self-constructive images of sex and gender. And you'll be getting that paper back in about a half an hour in class. (laughs) (laughs) So Lucy, it's been a pleasure visiting with you today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. We will post the selected bibliography of sources, including links to vice versa, as well as images at our website, victoryhistory.com. It's V-I-C-T-O-R-E history.com. You can subscribe by email to get notifications, and you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Spotify, or at victoryhistory.com. We want to give a special thanks to Nathan Weiss, FHSU music composition major, who composed our theme music. And if you're interested in pursuing a history degree or history education degree or even a history minor like Lucy at FHSU online or on campus, you can visit www.fhsu.edu history to learn more. Mm-hmm.